From our offices in Media City, Dubai, I'm John Lillywhite and this is the UAE Tech Podcast Expo Edition, a celebration of how technology is reshaping culture, economics and governance for the 21st century, brought to you by Albawaba Business. If you're interested in sponsoring the UAE Tech Podcast, tune in at the end of this episode for more information. metaverse hopefully will be your ready your blueprint of ready player one now you're going to have your spectators you're going to have your residents you know people who own nft apartments you're going to have uh, your tourists your commuters that just come to the location play for five ten minutes but you will also get a chance to see in our metaverse and leave and you will have your professional athletes right these people that are just like we mentioned the racers the gladiators the combat fighters whatever now for that to be possible, many things need to happen. Now, you must remember that I don't think there's any other company that's crazy enough or even willing, because you know, it's, a, it's like when you were young, people say, don't get into the restaurant business. The restaurant business is a headache, you know? It's the same thing with location-based entertainment. Like, who is crazy enough to build 100 locations around the world to, to fucking make a metaverse? It's like, just make the metaverse. Why do you need the, the but we have a, like, there's a grand dosis vision involved with it. There's like some multiple avenues and dimensions working simultaneously. Now, for all that to be possible, Web3 integration is a must. If you were born in the 80s or 90s, gaming arcades like Pac-Man, Street Fighter, Donkey Kong, or gaming publishers like Namco were instantly recognizable. Today, their status is referenced in series like Mr. Robot or movies like Tron or basically anything set in that period. Over the past two years, Gen Z have enjoyed social and collaborative gaming over the internet, be it platforms like Axie or Roblox or games like Fortnite. Robocom VR is a fascinating company in part because it seems to encompass these various elements of gaming history. On the one hand, they run one of the world's largest virtual reality parks in Dubai, with a new park opening soon. At the same time as operating these VR rigs and location-based theme parks, they have a team of game developers building licensed properties for well-known brands like Hasbro. The challenge ahead for the company and for CEO Kareem Ibrahim is how to integrate the hardware and intellectual property verticals of this business with the infrastructure of Web3. How will the blockchain reshape the economics of gaming? What role will VR-based location rigs play in global esports or, or gaming more generally? So this is about a Lebanese company based in the UAE working to integrate VR theme parks with intellectual property and Web3 blockchain-based tokenization. Maybe there is a hope for the metaverse after all. Today we're talking to Kareem Ibrahim from Robocom VR for a feel-good discussion on VR, the metaverse, and gaming. Uh, Kareem, thanks so much for joining us. So what is your story? What is Robocom VR? How did you get into this space? What are you working on right now? Hi, John. How are you? First and foremost, thank you for having me. Uh, a pleasure to be here. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a quick brief on what Robocom is. If you excuse me, just one second. Yes. So Robocom VR. Robocom VR um, 
we are considered now the largest gaming company in the Middle East. Uh, the reason we're, we're considered to be the largest gaming company in the Middle East is we were very persistent. We got lucky along the way and are a very ambitious company. Uh, a couple of years ago, about five years ago, when the whole industry, you know, when there was this VR bubble in the industry, uh, most people were going towards content creation, uh, the software side of things, I would, I would say. And we went the hardware side of things. We decided to get into hardware simulation. Uh, and we did specifically, you know, not, we didn't do headsets, we didn't do haptics. We wanted to focus on the LBE, location-based entertainment. Uh, with that being said, it was a niche market. You know, we had to play our cards right. After all, we were we were a Lebanese company, so relatively we come from a third world country. We're not that exposed. We don't really have a strong gaming ecosystem, so we had to play our cards right. We said, you know, this industry seems like it can be. Uh, we can turn a profit in this industry, and we decided to make the first ever prototype uh, for LBE, and that was a flight simulation. It was a generic like Star Wars type of type of game it was a generic uh, flight simulation but it was it was military grade it was state of the art it was military grade and we wanted to focus on that premium level quality and get into the field uh, from that perspective so uh, we introduced our prototype to Amman and luckily for for us they were opening uh, they were opening their first ever or, or the largest ever uh, indoor VR theme park. It was called VR Park in Dubai Mall. And based on the merits of, of the prototype, they, they said, why don't you join us? Even though we were still a couple months old, uh, we had no history. Uh, we, we, were, we were from a third world country, you know, and the partners that were associated with this project, you had the, 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 the Mummy, The Walking Dead, uh, John Wick. Uh, there was a lot of huge IPs, big brands in the space. And we were expected to perform on the low end of the chart. Surprisingly, after we opened, we were the most grossing uh, uh, sales. Uh, we were the most grossing product in the history of Amal Entertainment per square meter. So usually how... Uh, usually how the entertainment or FEC centers or location-based entertainment facilities do it, they, they count their GLA and their profit based on uh, per square meter. And, and because it's a very compact device, it's VR, it's interactive, it was able to generate a lot of, um, a lot of uh, revenue and income. And that's basically where Robocom VR first started in the hardware business. Such an awesome story because... You know, things have changed a lot, but I guess both of us, particularly me, probably a little bit older, you know, can remember going to the arcades when we were kids, you know, when back then, back because I was kind of like, you know, Game Boy Mega Drive generation, where if you wanted really good graphics and to play a really good game, you had to go to a physical location. And, you know, back then it was all Namco. I don't know if you remember Namco. Um, yeah, Namco like, oh, and yeah. Roth Rills, yeah. All those amazing arcades, yeah. And um, there was something about that. And then, of course, once it, once, you know, home computing improved, we got, you know, time crisis and we had the, you know, you had like the arcade in your home. We actually spoke to Jack McCauley, one of the creators of, of the Time Crisis Gun and right. Guitar Hero and all that stuff on the podcast. Yeah. But, you know, so it was great because you had home computing 
at home, but but you kind of also lost something, you know, not being able to go out to the arcade, not being able to go out kind of with friends to a location to play. And what's so interesting about you is, as you said, you focused on kind of hardware. And we've had so many discussions on the metaverse, on, on uh, play-to-earn gaming, um, on blockchain. I'd say 90% of what we discuss on, on the UA Tech podcast is software-based, really, or app-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big discussions in Silicon Valley net right now, people like Peter Thiel and others, is that, hey, you know, innovation isn't just about software. There's lots of other things you can innovate. And also hardware shouldn't just be something that big tech is, is accessible only to like Apple or big tech companies. So I guess, you know, I, I guess that's one of the, the next things we can talk about after we, because I know you guys also work in IP. So you've got that combination of hardware and IP. But clearly, you know, the, the demo at Dubai Mall went well. People liked it. Um, MR, who's, who's a big uh, construction and entertainment brand out here in Dubai, clearly liked it. So today, um, I read you guys are the world's largest VR theme park, certainly the, 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 the largest VR theme park here in Dubai. So how did that happen? How did the transition from that origin story you just told us to your work today happen? How did you scale up? Initially, when, when, um, so you know this, John, like any person who goes to the market, he's very wishful, very hopeful that his product ends up doing good. Now, in our case, to be in the largest mall in the world, to be in the largest VR uh, theme park in the world, to have brands like Walking Dead, John Wick, The Mummy as our neighbors and competitors in, in this space, and still be able to perform, that gives you a level of confidence that uh, maybe another person would not have if he was doing it the, 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 the traditional way. Uh, now, with that level of confidence, you know, I just got on a plane, I hopped on a plane, and I started knocking on doors, knocking on doors. And one of the one of the first doors to open up for us was Hasbro. Of course, you know, they didn't really take us seriously at the time because, again, we were a very young company that's based in Lebanon, uh, but they could not resist the product. They, the, the, the machine was just so innovative. And you have to remember, uh, a, a Hasbro... Hasbro is the largest toy manufacturer in the world. So it single-handedly influenced pop culture in like the 70s, 60s, 80s, you know, with the board games from Cluedo to Monopoly to, to the, the, the Transformers toys and everything was just Hasbro, Hasbro, Hasbro. This was, you know, before, uh, before, um, before the shift of, of gaming or console gaming or Game Boys or whatnot, you know, people were, you know, they were more imaginative. They would play with toys. So Hasbro was always on that type of level, but its business model, again, it's different. It relies on distribution of its IPs. Now, when a company like mine comes in, because they have already, they hopped on that train when, you know, the IP to, I think it was Ubisoft or I don't remember what company they, 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 they jumped on the gaming wagon and they did a couple of things here and there with the movies. The movies were very successful. Now it stagnated after that. Okay. We made a couple of games. We, we made a couple of movies. What do we do now? And all of a sudden some fucking young kid comes, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, some, some kid comes, uh, comes in from nowhere and, uh, and says, Oh, I got a machine that could, you know, expand your shelf life or the IP shelf life for another 30, 40, 50 years. And it can give you the ability to be in this Autobot and be in this Decepticon and be in this and, and have a virtually, you know, or, or theoretically a war of 50 machines against 50 machines and Autobots against Decepticons. And they were just baffled by it, you know, but they couldn't, they couldn't uh, take the risk. So they told us, listen, we'll, 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 we're willing to give you the IP under, under the consensus that, you know, um, you got to make the product first, 
you got to pay a little money, do your thing. And then if everything goes well, you know, if we approve it, uh, we'll go ahead. That's what happened. And we waited, we waited, we, we gave them a product a year and a half later, they loved it, they approved it, we got an award for it, Forbes picked us up, put us on 30 under 30, and it just shows you the power of, of persistence and, and belief, you know, we believed in we can make this a good product. I'm not saying we have the best game ever, but I'll, 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 I'll give you certainty that there is no other product in the market that can give you this level of immersiveness for a famous IP or, 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 or a multi-generational IP such as Transformers. We actually gave the user the ability to become the Autobot or to become the Decepticon. And, and that for Hasbro meant the world. So you guys had this rig, right? You had this kind of VR rig and you thought, okay, what's the next step? Um, as a business team, you guys thought, okay, what would be a really cool IP that we could work with that has synergy in this space or kind of understand the potential you identified Hasbro again, you know, bit of a, bit of a long way to go from, from A to B got in touch with them, kept pushing. Sounds like you guys took all the risks. So they basically said, look, we think there's something there. We can't jump on board yet. You guys develop something, take all the risk. We, we're not going to let you go to market unless it's good, but you can at least pitch it to us. So it's ready. So is that correct? You guys took, on you know developing it and got, building uh, a team what's that old saying uh fortune uh, favors, favors the, the brave the yeah yeah <laughs> the bold. yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know at, at some point you got to take risks uh, there is no successful business or successful entrepreneur that got to where he is without risks you have to you have to, you have to put it all on the line sometimes you know you have to innovate you have to be willing to think outside the box and if you're not you're just going to stay where you are and the world is going to pass you by i mean Look at this NFT craze, and then you know, me and you, and like people like us, believed in the metaverse and and be, believed in where the metaverse was going before the commercialization of the metaverse and NFTs and blockchain. You know, which of course gives it validity and and, and commercialization. But we believed in this a long time ago. We we just we were pursuing. So that's why it's very easy for for us as a company to be able to diversify or collectively. Uh, scale up and down depending on which avenue we want to take because we got the core, you know, like it's like we were able to grow and understand like the, our level of consciousness was able to grow and expand within a five year period as equivalent to a 67 year period. It's because we got, it's like we got into the arcade business, which was a seventies business, eighties business and whatever. And then it's like, we shifted up all the way to the 2020, 22. It's like, we got all that condensity of information in such a short period of time. Yeah, it's true. You've kind of got a bit of the history of, you kind of got a weird history of gaming there in like a five-year period, you know? It's kind of, yeah, your, your whole company kind of mirrors the whole trajectory of, of how video games have gone in our lifetime, but within like a really short space right? of time. It is weird. But but what is interesting is that you kind of combined, on the emerging tech level, you kind of combined this experience of, of VR and the rig with understanding that, hey, we can we can actually make a game that kids will enjoy, we can do that ourselves, right? So you you didn't, you said, okay, that's the next step. It's it's in a way, because developing that game, right, for Transformers and making sure it works, that's an entirely different business to Tell have a location. It. So, so I how think, did- I don't think I've yeah. had a good sleep. I don't think I had a good sleep for the past four years. <laughs> but you're stronger now, right? As a result, I guess, because to have that added capability, to have, you know, the hardware, VR location-based side with with the eye, you know, the ability to actually create games. That, John, 
it gives you the, you are in direct communication with the customer. Let me tell you something. You know what I do every like every week or two? I go down to one of the locations, random locations. I sit down and I just hear what customers have to say. Listen, there's a lot of keyboard warriors in this world, and keyboard keyboard warriors do not amount to anything. Let me tell you why. Because anyone can go online and talk what they have to say, you know, and not be uh, and not be scared of the consequences, given the fact that you know he's just venting on 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 social media. I'm not I'm not generalizing here, of course. There's people that make valid points and valid comments, but there's a lot of people that just throw anything out there just to just to talk. That's not a real. That's not real criticism. That's not a real customer. A real customer is someone that you can ex you, after he leaves the machine, you can identify by his body language and his facial expressions and his tonality, the way he's talking. If he really did like that experience, and if not, and how to extract the proper information from this guest to see how I can better my experience and better myself. To be able to do that means you're getting directly into the customer's head. No other, as much data as you have, as much, you know, I'm sure you, you can argue that, you know, on PlayStation or, or Sony or Xbox or Microsoft, whatever, they have that data based on all, you know, the collective sales they've done and, and, and all the information they've been able to gather. But again, as a salesman, I say this from a salesman point of view, if you put me right in front of a person, I can tell from his body language, his facial expression, his tonality, everything, his energy, what he felt and what he liked and what he didn't like about that game. I can't tell that from data, you know, looking at data, I won't be able to, they move in masses. It might be a communal effect. It might be a post. It might be a bad video, bad review. You don't know how the data moves, you know, but tell me, put me in face of a customer. I'll tell you what he loved and what he hated about the game. And I'll try to make it the best I can. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, definitely during COVID-19, you know, I wouldn't, I've really thought about that too much two years ago, but there have been days where I spent so much time looking at a screen. You know, I'm not a Luddite. I don't hate technology, but definitely, you know, if someone had said to me at any point, well, you can play at home or you can go into a VR park, I'd probably, I'd probably think about it a lot more now than I might've before. I'd have understood the value of, you know, going to a location and playing it rather than simply playing at home. And I also think the other thing is the rigs you can get um, if VR is all about being immersed, is about kind of experiencing these worlds, the better the rig you have, you know, the, the better the experiences. Um, so I think that, you know, that's something we can talk about later. But I want to ask you about the gaming community, because one of the interesting things about Robocom VR, as compared to, to we, we've really spoken to two groups uh, on, the, on the podcast. We've spoken, three actually, we've spoken to the blockchain guys, play to and blockchain guys, spoken to the big tech guys. Recently, we spoke to the Ubisoft Gaming, um, an individual from Ubisoft Gaming Lab. She was actually speaking in a private capacity, um, Yingzi, and she had some really good points to say kind of about gaming community and popular culture being a little bit different. And of course, Hasbro, you know, a lot of kids, everyone knows Hasbro, they know Transformers. A lot of people know that the Transformers case study was actually a really important intellectual property case study. People at business school study the business deal Hasbro did in terms of licensing Transformers to Mudio Studios and how movie studios sold massive amounts of Hasbro product just for that deal. And it was actually a precursor to the Marvel Studios business model, which of course now dominates most of the, the movies we watch. Um, and that's cascaded into all sorts of things. So now you have all these kids playing Roblox and all these online metaverse worlds, you know? So kind of for your company, you're kind of beginning to hit the sweet spot for a lot of these young kids. And do you think 
do you think the culture of gaming is gonna because you know we've got facebook we've got all these other players coming along but the popular culture the the culture of gaming is going to play a big role in the metaverse um so what what's your thoughts on that and how is robocon vr kind of positioning itself for that for that whole shift the way i see it john is uh when it comes to you can you can uh look at our business specifically in two different uh dimensions you have your uh experience dimension so when people come uh, to experience the game, uh, let it be at an FEC center, a family entertainment center, or any theme park or whatever. It's usually a family, you know, it's a bundle, it's a family, it's a group of friends, whatever. But their mental perspective, uh, perception of what they're going to try is an experience. They're not ready to try a game. It's not a game. It's an experience. Now, when you want to cater to the gaming community, they're expecting a game. They're expecting a, a cult following behind it, you know, like the Witcher 3 or they just, they're going to be in 20, 30 years, they're going to have posters of the characters or, or the genre or the game or whatever you want to call it. Now to make that bridge or to make that shift from, we're very advantageous and in, in, in where we are now in, in terms of experience, but to be able to make that shift into the gaming community, it is going to take time. It is going to take patience. It's going to take a level of perfection that because, you know, you're going to get criticized from all angles and we're up and open for criticization. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to have as multiple locations around the world as we can and then get as much feedback as we can, collect that feedback, collect that data from our online on location sales and, and just talk by talking to the customer and getting into his head. And eventually, while we're building our back end, which is the metaverse and, you know, we're, we're, we're tokenizing it and, and and minting them to be nfts and apartments and and even we're talking about i can't disclose who the brands are right now but we're talking to a lot of brands you know from from casinos supermarkets to even schools gyms we're, we're, we're really going all out in our metaverse now when you have the best of both worlds and then we can go to market. And then what happens is you have this competitive scene, which is now the esports, you know, you can which you coin it as competitive gaming esports. And then instead of actually racing on a on a PlayStation or a keyboard or whatever or, 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 or a console, you'd be able to race on the simulator. Now, who would provide this ecosystem? Who would provide these locations? We are also in talks with a lot of uh, events organizers or events gaming event companies you know that will start running these tournaments so we'll go to your face clans and your team liquids and xyz and we'll be like hey listen here's a free simulator here's our game why don't you let a couple of your players you know try it if they're good at it you now have a, a, a you now you now have a, a virtual uh virtual reality sim a racing simulator a team for that and then it becomes competitive and then you, you start scaling up from there and the back end or, or the community. So, so you, our metaverse will be speculators. Listen, athletes will always be athletes, in my opinion. You know, I can't be LeBron James. You can't be Michael Jordan. Well, you see, we're physically not capable. We, we weren't born, you know, in that ecosystem. We weren't, we weren't vetted, you know, biologically. And there's so many different, uh, different uh, metrics for them to be who they are. And it's you know, one in a million, one in a billion. That same metrics can apply to a virtual racer. It's, it's it's just maybe someone was born with very very com like uh, like mind-boggling reflective uh, react uh, what do you call it um, 
reaction uh, time or just yeah, yeah reaction time and what and he was born to drive this virtual simulator you know we have not found him but when we do found him and we find six or ten people like him and then you put that on a live broadcast and there's actually an ecosystem and and so those people will be your lebron james and kobe bryant and michael I, jordan and our metaverse will just be spectators so i've got to i've got to ask you about that but i've got a story like that i used to be invincible on tech it was great and then i went to university i went to to Oxford University where no one played video games. It was literally embarrassing to have a PlayStation in campus. People made fun of me. And there was this computer engineering guy next, next door. He played, he was like, you know, an amazing coder. He'd won like some national award, didn't play much video games and just thought, oh, you know, uh, quite fancy playing PlayStation. You know, start playing. To begin with, I'm killing this guy. After a couple of weeks, He's invincible. Literally, I can't move, you know? And I, I'm pretty damn good. At that stage in my life, I was pretty damn good. This guy just finds the right play. I think it's Hitachi. And I can yeah. barely move. So that, you know, what you just said. He had a formula. Think, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think he just cracked the code of the game. You know what I mean? Um, but it was interesting and cracked the code of how I was playing as well, very strategically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, I think in esports, we're seeing that as well, which is why more and more people are, are tuning in because they're beginning to understand that. But so what about the metaverse and tokenization? Because, look, I know everyone, the metaverse has become a buzzword. As you said, there's a lot of people hopping on. There's a lot of people who've always been kind of interested in that world and understood it in a different way. But, you know, it does sound like you're thinking a lot about it. You've got a lot of assets in play, a lot of really kind of unique stuff going on with the hardware with the, the IP creation. So how are you trying to move into the metaverse and, and Web3? First and foremost, um, John, I was, I was, as I was mentioning before, our metaverse hopefully will be your, ready, your blueprint of Ready Player One. Now, you're gonna have your spectators, you're gonna have your residents, you know, you, people who own NFT apartments, you're gonna have uh, your tourists, your commuters that just come to the location, play for five, 10 minutes, which you will also get a chance to see in our metaverse and leave. And you will have your professional athletes, right? These people that are just like we mentioned, the racers, the gladiators, the combat fighters, whatever. Now, for that to be possible, many things need to happen. Now, you must remember that I don't think there's any other company that's crazy enough or even willing because you know it's a, it's like when you were young people say don't get into the restaurant business the restaurant business is a headache you know it's the same thing with location-based entertainment like who is crazy enough to build 100 locations around the world to to fucking make a metaverse it's like just make the metaverse why do you need the, the but we have a like there's a grandiosis vision involved with it there's like some multiple avenues and dimensions working simultaneously now for all that to be possible Web3 integration is a must and tokenization or finding the proper blockchain uh, to, to deal with, you know, gas fees are going to kill everything. Like imagine going to the supermarket and trying to buy a carton of eggs and milk and your gas fee is more expensive than the uh, carton of uh, milk and, 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 you know, it doesn't make sense. People are not going to buy or micro loaning or, or, or just, there's so many different things that you, because when you're in a world, when you're in, in a metaverse, or you're, you're in a meta city or whatever, and you want to use money, uh, gas fees is going to be an issue. You don't want to pay more on gas fees than you would more on your actual virtual items or, or just living in this world. Uh, so uh, our, first, our first mission is to find the, the proper blockchain to build on. That's definitely a must. And the second would be to have the proper Web3 integration 
and have the brands be able to understand the software integration and how we can you know uh, integrate or synchronize our apis to make the business model feasible for them and us you know and to make be, make it as transparent and, and and you know in the old days profit sharing agreement would be like hey you know what i'm gonna uh i'm gonna open up a store uh put your stuff at my store and at the end of the month i'll give you a bill of whatever i sold and i'll send you the money now it doesn't work that way you know with web3 integration everyone gets the, you know they're cut on the spot uh every it goes to your wallet it goes to my wallet everything is already via smart contracts is being taken care of so it's just they have to understand it too you know the the, the brand still like there's still people i'm negotiating with it's like what you're sending me an invoice at the end of the month for the metaverse i'm like bro you the money the money goes directly yeah. to you i'm not even involved you know they they're still not understanding it 100 percent. yeah it's it's gonna be i guess it's gonna be a tough transition and also I mean, there's this debate because we, we, we've spoken to some of the play to, to earn guys. And on the one hand, they're like, you know, micropayments and games and exactly what you said, you know, getting money instantly for a new sword or a power up or, you know, some kind of advantage is great. Others have said, you know what, some of these new play to earn games suck because we, we had one guy last week who said, if you come into some of these new Axie games with $20,000, you're going to just defeat everyone around you because you can you can buy the things that give you the mass, massive advantage. It sounds like you're not just talking about in-game monetization, though. You're talking about working with third parties and other clients and connecting metaverse worlds into you know your VR theme parks and making all of that seamless via tokenization. So you're not you're not just looking at tokenization tokenizing the games. You're looking at your wider relationships and business models and how you can create a value chain. In my personal opinion, John, human beings will always be human beings. If you take them to the metaverse or you take them to the moon, they're going to function the same way. You know, we did not uh, choose to become uh, addicted to social media. You know, we know we, we as human beings uh, wanted to become addicted to social media because that we, we live on pleasure. You know, that's a, a, like the book, The Brave New World. I forgot the author of it, you know, but it's just, Huxley. We, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, it tells you, you know, we get to a point where pleasure is just everything is irrelevant because all we, we're seeking is pleasure. We are taking our, ourselves that way. Now, I'm not here to talk about philosophy or what's wrong or right or whatever. All I'm saying is if you cannot bridge reality reality into the metaverse there will be no metaverse because today mm. uh like you're talking about the sword you can buy a twenty thousand dollar sword and you can start beating everyone there now that applies to the in the, in the in the real world like you can drive a honda and then i can be rich and buy a ferrari and let's race let's see who can race or you can like work your ass off in that same honda or whatever you soup it up get some nitros i don't know whatever you know have it and then and then race and then possibly you can beat a ferrari a guy who does not understand anything about the mechanics of his car uh in the beginning you're gonna see these like everything is gonna be very oh, in your face in your face in your face but give it some time the best the toughest the smartest they're gonna end up finding and cracking these 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 codes or 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 just like reality, like meet any billionaire or millionaire, self-made billionaire or millionaire, and then meet his son or his third generation family. Put them next to each other, two different human beings, right? People who have made their money or who have made the like hard-earned money and had to are self-made and had to work their way from the bottom up to get to the top is different than a fun. Uh, what do you call it? A, a pension. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. going to say that that's all going to feed into gaming, into the metaverse, those social dynamics, like your character will eventually 
shine through in, in, in how you play or how you work in that 100%, 100%. world. 100%. And, and, and it, can't, it can't be any other way. Like, as competitive as you want to make it and as neutralistic as you want to make it, you know, oh, you can't buy a sword or you can't buy this and everyone's at the same level and work your rep. That's not that's not how life works, you know. Mm. Sometimes you 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 know you 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 need to find ways to get into certain organizations, and sometimes your your network plays a big role in who, who you are and, and your PR and, and media and, and it's it, this is real life. We have to be able to shift that and take that social dynamic and and apply it to the metaverse. That's how people will, will, will end up accepting it. I think that's I think that's cool. I mean, you know, we're coming to the end of the the, the the episode, but there's two things I want to ask you on that. So, you know, that was one of the ideas for the blockchain, right? Exactly what you just said. It was like, look, you can do this, and that's in. I mean, it's in the movie Ready Player One as well, right? You can have a vast corporation that owns this space, exactly. and you can get deplatformed, um, yeah. and you can they can set rules that make it impossible for what you just described. So basically, if you're friends with the platform owner doesn't matter you, you'll be great but if you're not friends it doesn't matter how much talent you have you know you will never succeed within that world right or you can have blockchain-based systems where yes there's a lot of inequality a guy can come in with you know 30k and beat you but ultimately the blockchain means that everyone has the same level of access you know you're not right. going to get deplatformed the rules uh, there's definitely inequality but the base standard, the rules kind of remain the same. And I, I read recently a really good article called A New Deal for the Internet, which is basically saying if you look at early America, it was a tough place. There was a lot of inequality. But the idea was if you start from nothing, you can still make it here. And that's not the case right now in America. You oh, know, not at all. And, they shifted. Right. After everyone made it, they shifted and became politically correct. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, and what they, this, this person was saying was, you know, the Internet... And by extension, I guess what I'm saying is the metaverse needs to be like early, you know, like that idea. Okay, of you course, there's always... You know what you know? early America is to be now? And I've said this many times to a lot of people. It's UAE. It's the land of opportunity, you know, against, of course, a certain uh, uh, concept. Uh, is the land of opportunity. In America right now, it's very, very, very tough to get around. I had the choice to live in New York or here. I, I chose here because here... I'm more, you know, I have more freedom. I have, I'm more agile. Uh, there's more opportunities. And it, it's exactly to what you were saying, you know, even like, even if you look to, back to American history and the Italian mobs or unionization or, or all of that stuff, that was all like, make your own, you know, make this yours. Uh, and then every, like everyone started in the Irish went to Boston and then like, and the, the, you know, uh, the Italians took over New York. And it was just like, because, you know, we all came in the communities and we all came and we brought our baggage with us and then we had to settle and make our own. And then once that evolved, you know, it was based on that principle, land of opportunity, make your own, make your own, make, it, make your own. You know, the African-American culture went, you know, took over the media and hip hop and they became the biggest influencers of the world or the sports. Everyone took their own. And now when everyone took their own, they were like, oh, you know what? This, this, this shouldn't be this way. Let's make everything politically correct. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know what? I mean, what's interesting, I always say is kind of when I was growing up, it was still, you know, everyone watched Friends, New York. But now when you go to younger generation in Europe, um, particularly like Gen Z, although I don't like categorizing, you know, but they all want to come to UAE. Like no one's on Insta looking, you know, everyone in like Paris or these European cities, you know, Dubai, it's, like, Dubai. it's like Dubai. 
yeah. some, you know, um, so like, yeah, it's a massive shift and I get what you're saying. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I found that too, kind of some of, some of the people I've met here and, and some of the things that are happening, I think, you know, people, it's just, it's just growing so far. No, but, but you know, I love your philosophy on this, uh, John, about the, how you're saying, you know, the blockchain is in, in a sense, your true equality, no matter how, you know, no matter who who owns what at, at the end of the day or or who has power over who blockchain will always give you equality when, when or justice when when no justice is is being revealed that's why whoever is going to be the king of the metaverse you know i'm light years away from being i hope i can be i know mark zuckerberg is not going to be the king of the metaverse. <laughs> someone will be the king of the metaverse but whoever whoever that person is it's definitely going to be a person that is going to give justice freedom and and just equality for all okay despite who has money and who doesn't have money or, or who has what it's just good the system is gonna be just that's what it is i got it okay so yeah super interesting i recently met someone who said i want to be a metaverse well within five years man <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah just to finish up this discussion then because i think a lot of people will be interested in this question what do you predict or what are you seeing as the future role of um vr hardware and VR location-based entertainment with the metaverse. How do you see those two things coming together in the future? It's a very simple answer. If you cannot integrate the two, they will, they will not exist. If any of the devices that are lo currently uh, located in any of the malls, now I'm, not, I'm not even gonna say FEC centers, in malls in general, in any location that's meant to commercially uh, generate revenue, if it is not linked and attached to the blockchain or the metaverse, it will no longer exist. You know, it's just, maybe popcorn will be, maybe, maybe when you buy popcorn, you they'll tokenize your movie or what. It's, we're just moving, like blockchain is, is good. It's gonna be a hundred times more effective than the internet was. It's just, I don't think anyone's realizing that yet. Well, Kareem Ibrahim, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, I hope we can have you on the UAE Tech Podcast again in the future. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Alboaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Alboweba Business, syndication distribution on Alboweba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Alboweba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.